You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Jtown. In this series, we're following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So we're in Matthew chapter 8, so you're just joining us. Uh, we took a little break, a few month break here during the summer in August from Matthew. We're jumping back into it. Um, this is sort of a, a transitional place in Matthew goes from kind of teaching Matthew 5 and 7 to more narrative and so if you've got a red letter edition you'll notice that 8 and 9 don't have a lot of red letters because it's kind of narrating what's going on then you get to chapter 10 there's a whole lot of red letters there's more teaching going on there so uh, we're kind of in the two chapters on uh, the narratives what's kind of what's going on what's Jesus doing all right Um, and so yeah let's stand together in honor of reading uh, God's word so hear the word of the Lord And so when he, meaning Jesus, uh, came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing to be made, I'm willing be made clean. Uh, Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And then Jesus told him, see that you do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and the uh, offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. And he said to him, am I to come and, and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And hearing this, Jesus was amazed, and he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus told the centurion, go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very moment. And then Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And so he touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. And when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray all of us in this room will take a a posture of humility, that we would take a posture in our heart, that we want to hear from you. And so we are are saying, as the young prophet Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So God, we ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So a few weeks ago, we, uh, we spent an evening uh, out on Tethersville Lake with Eddie and Kristen Evans and their family. They got like a, a little pontoon, and uh, they invite several families periodically to go kind of spend the evening with them. And so 
Um, yeah, we did this. It was great. Had a really, really good time. He has a pontoon where it's fast enough to where you can kind of pull, like do some skiing and stuff like that. Now, I didn't, I didn't try to do any skiing because I'm, I'm old, all right? And I did try to get up on the kneeboard, and it did not happen. I, he drugged me around that lake, man, I tell you. Probably drank a lot of water uh, that day. I tried. I tried really hard to get up there. I mean, you know, his youngins, you know, those young bucks, you know, like 12, 11, they pop right up. They're like a bobber. It's like, that's amazing. You know, that's really, it looks really easy. And then you get out there, and it's like, <laughs> so, it was brutal. My stomach was hurting really bad the next morning because I used muscles in my stomach I hadn't used in, in many years. But we, uh, we had a good time. And, and just like any, any July evening, you know, in Kentucky, you're always have a chance of a thunderstorm popping up because of all the humidity. And sure enough, you know, here we are on the out of the lake, and, and there's, I mean, you can see it coming. I mean, it's, it's just like we're about to get unloaded on. I mean, there's massive dark clouds coming in here, thunder, a little bit of lightning out there. And so, you know, Eddie says, all right, we need to get back to the dock so we don't get a torrential downpour. And so we're, we're moving pretty good for a pontoon, right? It's a you know, it's not like a bass boat where you're just kind of like up on the water and going like 60. We're, we're probably going 30, and we're wanting it to go a little faster, right? Because you can just, man, you can see it. it. It's coming. It's coming. And so, uh, sure enough, we didn't, we didn't get into the dock early enough. It, it unleashed on us. I mean, it was a torrential downpour, um, some thundering, some lightning going on around us. Uh, not, you know, not real close to us, but close enough to where... It might make you pee in your pants a little bit, right? You know what I'm saying? It was, it was pretty brutal. And there's something about, like, you know, seeing a thunderstorm and being, you know, under something, you know, like under an awning or under your porch. Say, oh, this is really cool. But it's another experience when you're out in the water, right? You're like, this is not good to be out in the water in the midst of a thunderstorm when there's lightning going on. And so, um, so here we are. We're trying to get back. And then all of a sudden, Kristen Evans gets up. And she walks to the edge of the boat, and she raises up her arms, and she says, be quiet. And in that moment, it, it stopped. Now some of you are sitting there thinking, are you serious, Law? Right? Are you serious, Clark? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, half the story's true. Yeah, we did kind of have a thunderstorm and got rained on a little bit. It wasn't as elaborate as I, as I said it. But Kristen didn't get up and raise her arms up and said, be quiet. That, that would have been pretty stinking awesome if that would have happened, right? But just try to, like, go with your imagination. What if that really did happen? What if in, I mean, because here's the thing. Even as I'm telling the story, some of you are going, oh, my gosh. Like, I trust Lyle. He's never lied to me. Like, this probably really happened. I cannot. I mean, that had to be crazy. And probably in the back of your mind, what you're thinking is you're going like, who is Kristen? Uh, I thought she was just a normal lady. She's awesome and amazing, but to stand up and command something. Like, wow, that's, she like Wonder Woman? Maybe she is. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's what you're you're automatically going, who is this woman that stands up and says, quiet down, and it, it happens? Well, you guys know where I'm kind of going with this, if you're familiar with stories. I mean, we'll get to this story next week. Um, 
But the, this really happened to the disciples. This isn't a real event for them. They're out on the Sea of Galilee, and this happens often where storms just kind of pop up like they do for us. And sure enough, big old massive storm hits, hits the sea, and they're going crazy. It's craziness. I mean, they think they're going to die. I mean, they go to Jesus and say, we're going to drown. What in the world are you doing, man? Do something about this. And so he just stands up, and he just says, calm down. And everything gets calm. And in that moment, here's what, here's what the disciples say. They, they ask this question. What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Like this is, this is not a normal experience for them, right? Just like it wouldn't have been a normal experience for me if Kristen Evans really got up and said, be quiet, right? We would all have said, what kind of woman is this, right? Well, that's exactly what they are asking. Who, who is this guy? He looks just like me. He's a human being. Like, who is this guy who's, who by the words of his mouth, the waters have to obey him. Well, I think that's what happens here in, in, in chapter 8 and in chapter 9. We have a, we have a series of, of miracles. We have a series of, of healings and restoration and, and demons being cast. I mean, you saw three of them. We just got done reading them. And, and what I think Matthew is trying to do in these two chapters, and, and in essence, he's trying to do this with the whole of the gospel, but I think he's zeroing in in chapters 8 and 9 and helping us kind of answer this question, who is he? What kind of man is this person named Jesus? Because, you know, when he comes on the scene and he does these miracles, he's not, he's not just doing these miracles to kind of prove that he's God. Sometimes that's what we think. We think that Jesus is doing these miracles and he's healings in order for people to say, and say, oh, wow, he's God, you know, like, I want you to know I'm God, and I'm going to prove it to you. So watch this, disciples. You see a cat? Bop! It's a cow now, right? Did you see that, guys? That was pretty awesome. I'll do it again. There's a dog. Bop! It's an ostrich. You know, it's not, it's not like he's walking around just arbitrarily kind of showing off his power. He's not like Shazam, right? He's not like a 14-year-old. He gets his power like, oh, I don't even know what to do with this. He's like, let me just have some fun today. That, that's, that's not what's going on here. There's... There's more that's happening. Yeah, in part, he's wanting us to see that this is that he is divine, that he is God. There's a part where he's trying to show that through his evidence, but there's more going on than that. I think there's a way in which he wants to see his heart. He wants us to see what kind of person is this. And so all I want to do uh, this morning, and, and honestly, guys, I... I I really feel like sometimes, and this is the beauty of the Bible, there's all kinds of layers here. And so I'm just peeling one off. We got 30 minutes. I'm peeling one layer off, and we're looking at that one layer. I, I'm telling you, this is why the Word of God is so amazing. You, you need to go home this week and every day read these 17 verses and just sit still. Say, God, speak to me. Show me something. And I promise you, man, you'll see something new every single day. I mean, that's the beauty of the Word of God. And we can, you know, I, I guarantee you, sometime in the next 10, 20 years, we might be back in Matthew, working through the book of Matthew, and we can come on this passage of Scripture, and we can find another kind of emphasis that we want. We'll find another layer that we want to spend some time with. So today, I'm just taking one layer of the onion and bringing out a, two, two elements or two pieces of truth here that 
I think um, Matthew is wanting us to see about Jesus so that we can kind of begin to answer, what kind of person is he? Who is this man named Jesus? The first thing we see here is that Jesus is one who has all authority. I want to sit, sit with that. Because if you go to church a while, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Let's move on to something. No, no. Let's just stop and kind of think about what we just said there. Jesus is one who has all authority. And so if you would look at your Bible, you see at the end of chapter 7 and at the end of chapter 9, there is these themes of authority. It's, it's kind of the, these two chapters, 8 and 9, are bookended by the theme of authority. You see it in chapter 7 at the very end when he walks off the mountain there. You see this in verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished. They were amazed at his teachings. Well, why? Why is that, Lyle? Because he was teaching them like one who had authority. There was something about his presence. There was something about the way he spoke that, that was way different than any other teacher that they heard. He spoke with authority. You go to chapter 9 and verse 33 at the end of these kind of narratives that we see in uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, we, we read this. When the demon had been driven out and the man who had been mute spoke and the crowds were once again, what were they? They were amazed. They were astonished at what was going on here. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And so what Matthew is showing us, right, in these kind of two chapters, if Jesus is the one who has all authority, then what does it really look like if Jesus is really in charge? I mean, what is it what does it look like when he's walking on this earth if he's the one that's really in charge? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like. Leprosy is gone with one touch. That's what it looks like. A fever is gone with one touch. That's what it looks like. Demons are driven out with the word. That's what it looks like because Jesus is the one who is in charge. And so what we see with these miracles is Matthew is putting before us, yeah, this is his authority and I'm validating it. I'm validating to you that he is the one that has all authority. And this is really um, kind of highlighted or displayed in a very vivid way in the middle miracle there in verses 7 uh, through 13. Look what happened there when he encounters this centurion. So this, this Gentile soldier approaches Jesus and says, look, my servant is paralyzed. He's in agony. I, 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 can you help? And Jesus said, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, you want me to come to your house and and heal him there. And look what the centurion said here, starting in verse 8. And then the centurion replied to him, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. I'm a, I'm a Gentile, and I know that I'm unclean, and I don't even deserve you as a Jewish man to come in my own home. So, so don't do that. Instead, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Well, what's the ground for this? What, how, does, how does he know that? Well, look what he says here in verse 9. For I myself am a man under authority. So all he's just basically saying is, look, I'm a, I'm a centurion, I'm a soldier, but I'm also one under authority. There's someone over me that whenever he speaks the word, I've got to obey. So if he tells me to run, I'm going to go run. He tells me to hop, I'm going to go hop. Whatever word that the one of an authority over me says, I'm going to obey it. And then look what else he says here. For I'm one that's under authority, and, and I have soldiers who are under me. So I'm also not only one who's under authority, I also have authority, and this is what happens. I say, 
I tell them. I give them a word. Go, and what happens? He goes. And I tell that one, come. And what happens? He comes. I say to my servant, do this, and guess what happened? He does it. So I'm a one who is exercising authority, and whenever I speak a word, that word has to be obeyed. Look what he says in verse 10, or look what Jesus says in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. The only time that word's been used in the New Testament. He was amazed. Why? This is what he said. Instead of those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found in anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go. It will be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. The confidence that this centurion has that Jesus can heal his servant with just a word. He doesn't have to be in his presence. He doesn't have to go to his home. He doesn't have to be in the same zip code, so to speak, right? The confidence that this centurion has that he can heal his, his servant with a word is the authority that Jesus has. So there's something, you know, in part, he doesn't know in full, but he knows in part of what he's seeing with Jesus. Something he's seeing with his presence, the way he spoke, the kind of way he carried, something there to where he knew that, wow, there's a similarity that we have. I, I give a word to my guys that are under me, and they got to obey my word. I'm one who has authority. I tell them to do it. They will do it. But man, it's way different. You have a power that's above mine. You have all authority. And whenever you speak a word, it has to be obeyed. And so if you just speak a word, say, healed your servant, healed them of leprosy, whatever, or, or, or paralysis, whatever it is, that word has to be obeyed by the very physical body. Are you following me? Isn't it crazy? Jesus speaks a word from somewhere we don't even know where this guy's living, but he's a few miles away, and that word comes with authority that has to be obeyed. Jesus is one who has all authority. He is Lord. So, of course, guys, when Jesus is walking around on earth, of course, everything's going to obey him. Of course, leprosy can be cured. Of course, paralysis can be cured by the word of his mouth. Of course, he touches a hand and a fever's gone. Of course, by the word of his mouth, the demon is, 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 is you know, sent away. Of course that happens. Because why? Because he's the one that's created all things. He's the one that's created everything that we see and cannot see. And even right now is the one that's holding them together by the word of his mouth. He has all authority he is lord and matthew is helping us see that by validating that authority through these miracles and healings so look i mean i i think there's all kinds of implications we can bring from this but here i just want to kind of highlight one here um i know some of us in this room may not be christians yet you know you may be kind of exploring things and Maybe you've got a lot of questions about Jesus. Maybe you've even got ideas about Jesus that may not necessarily be lined up with what we see in the Gospels. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here and glad you're here. And hopefully, as we work through the book of Matthew, you'd get a better picture of who this Jesus is and his, and his heart and his desire for you. But here's what I want to say, and I feel like sometimes this is even an understatement. I, words don't even do this justice. But here's just what I want 
Jesus is so powerful. And I know that doesn't do it justice. It's, it's like when we say Jesus is awesome because we call pizza awesome, right? I mean, and some pizza is awesome. But, I mean, it's just like language does not even communicate how powerful Jesus is, and I can't overstate it enough of the work that He can do in your life. Because I'm a different person because of my encounter with Jesus as a seven-year-old. As a seven-year-old. When He came and, and rescued me and came in my life, I am a different person because of that. Yes, yes, we can... You know, the people I've met and the places I've been, the books I've read have changed me also. But fundamentally, what has brought about the change in my life is my relationship with Jesus. And that's the kind of power that's available to every single one of us in this room. Like, He can literally change your life. But that power, listen to me, comes with authority. Jesus has something to say about everything, and it is the best thing that can be said about everything. <laughs> and he's not faking it. So we, you know, we, we have these encounters with people that are in authority, like they, they you know, uh, they're an authority in a certain field, like, you know, a doctor is usually an authority in medicine, you know, and an engineer is usually an authority in whatever they do in engineering stuff, right? <laughs> you know, a barista may be an authority in coffee. Are you following me? And you have conversations with these people, and you're going, because they're an authority in whatever area of life it is, or whatever area it is, their, their words come with what? With weight. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know much about medicine, yeah, I can get online and do some Googling, but that's kind of dangerous, right? It's like, oh, I don't know if that's a wise thing to do to start doing self-diagnosis, amen? Okay, maybe I'm the only one that's uh, not, not for that. But, but you, I think you're with me. Like when we hear the doctor, there's a way that they speak words that kind of comes with weight, right? They have a, an authority with them. And then you got your other friends who come with kind of these same words, and it feels like they know what they're talking about, and they feel like they're authority in this area, and then you find out all they did was do a Google search, and they just feel really confident about what they're talking about. It's like, you're just stinking faking it, right? You don't, have a, you don't have any idea what you're talking about here. Your words have no weight now that I've figured out where you got your understanding. But here's the thing, please, man, we gotta, gotta think about it. Jesus knows something about everything, He's the embodiment of wisdom in Proverbs calling out to us who are simpletons and fools and say, leave your simple ways and listen to me. I know something about gender. I created you male and female. I know something about sexuality. I know something about work. I know something about relationships. I know something about emotions. I know something about meaning and purpose and contentment and where your longings can be fulfilled. Why? Because I'm the Lord over all things. And what do we do? We usually say, hey, I know, but I think, right? 
I know you said this. I kind of know who you are. But I think. I mean, as a pastor, as an individual who's walking this journey of following Jesus Christ, I've encountered all kinds of people who want um, the power of Jesus to come into their life and change them. They want the power of Jesus to come in their life and take away this, this sin that just has a way of haunting them. They want the power of Jesus to come in their life and help them relationally with whatever problems they're having relationally. You want the power of Jesus to come in your life and help you with whatever marriage problems you have, all these kind of things. But here's where I always see resistance from others. And look, guys, I see resistance in my own heart. Because when I start talking about, all right, that you need to submit to what Jesus said in this area. Here's what he said. Obey. And then there's all kinds of resistance in here. And he's the one that has all authority. He's the Lord of all things. I was just sitting down with my our kids this week having dinner and we're just kind of goofing off right and being uh silly and i think i was i think i was just half being silly here and so i was talking to my 13 and 11 year old and i said okay here's here's our posture for the next six seven years all right here's here's our framework this is how we're going to be thinking you don't know anything mom and dad know everything amen right like, this is how it's going to function in this home. And I was kind of being silly, maybe a little bit. You don't know jack squat is what I said, right? That's exactly what I said. You don't know anything. You're 12. You're 13. I'm 49. My wife, I'm not going to tell her age, right? She's somewhere in that area, right? Like, we've lived a long time. We have something to say about this. We have something to say about this. Think about it in your relationship with Jesus. Isn't it interesting how we do the same thing that we think we know? And this is his world. And he created you. He put you together. I know, I know, but I think. Dallas Willard says this in his book on, uh, called The Divine Conspiracy. Because we are spiritual beings, it is for our good, individually and collectively, to live our lives in interactive dependence upon God under his kingdom rule. Another translation, under his authority. That's what he's saying. Every kind of life from the cabbage to the water buffalo. That's two extremes, isn't it? I don't know if I would put those two, two pieces together. but Lives from a certain world that is suited to it. It is called to that world by what it is. There alone is where its well-being lies. Cut off from its spirit, special world, it languishes and eventually dies. 
I mean, we say this often from here, and I've said it a lot. To be fully human means we are to be a people that live under the rule of Jesus or live under the authority of Jesus because he is Lord of all and he knows what's best and he has your best interest in mind. That's how we're to live as human beings. And if we want to live outside of that, I mean, you can. You can. And in Romans 1, what we see there as far as like God's wrath is kind of this passive wrath of God where he just kind of lets you go. He says, okay, you do you, and I'll do me. You don't want that. Because you're not created as a human being to live outside of his authority. That's where death comes into picture. So the first thing we see from these miracles, we'll see them all through these two chapters, is that Jesus is one who has all authority. The second one, and this is where we're kind of landing and we'll be done here. Like I said, there's a lot in here. I encourage you to jump into it this week and read it. Second thing we see here is that Jesus is one who always moves toward the center. I want you to hear that. I know sometimes if you've grown up in church, like you hear it, but then you don't hear it. Jesus, and remember, who is Jesus? He's called Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means what? Say it out loud. God with us. So think, okay, this is not just a mere human. This is God in the flesh. This is the very embodiment of God, the exact representation of who God is. So Jesus, God, is always moving toward the center. Now look, look what happens here. Um, It's important for us to recognize um, how Matthew is organizing these three miracles, these three healings. Like it's, um, there, there is a chronological order in the writing of the Gospels, and then there sort of isn't, right? I know it sounds like crazy, but you've got to know that there's like thousands and hundreds of miracles that were done. I mean, John tells us we can't even, all the stories and the miracles and all the things that happened, we can't even, you know, the books to contain them. And so all the Gospel writers are kind of picking some, some stories that are kind of fitting with where they're wanting to go with their book. And so it's, it's interesting What Matthew does here in picking these specific three healings that really happened, and it's interesting that as soon as he comes down from the mountain, here's the first three. Here's the first three healings that Matthew records. Verse 2, a man with leprosy. Verse 5, a centurion who is a Gentile. Verse 14, when Jesus came to Peter's house, he touched Peter's mother-in-law. And what is a mother-in-law? Not, like, that's not a trick question, right? (laughs) They're not the devil, amen, right? They're a blessing from the Lord, amen. We love our mother-in-laws. See, it's a woman, right? So we've got a a leper who most people in this time believe that he was cursed by God. That a leper was under the curse of God. You've got a Gentile who only a leper is more unclean than a Gentile. And then you've got a woman who in this time, a a Jewish male 
would pray this prayer. Thank God that I'm not a woman. Can you, can you imagine that for just a second? Can you imagine coming to a gathering like this? And just out loud, a male, just, God, thank you that I'm not a woman. Can you imagine how that would make every lady in this room feel like nothing? Less than nothing? And so each of these three have this in common. They are outsiders. They are outcasts. They're the, the lows of society. And Jesus pursues them first. Matthew puts all three of these healings first. The leper, the, the Gentile, and the woman. And not only, like, and they knew this. Like, guys, look, this is not something like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm an out. No, they knew they were outsiders. They knew they were the low of the lows. And every time they would even go to worship, they were reminded of this because there were walls built up to keep them from going to certain places of the temple. So I've got a, you know, a, a picture of this as best I could find on the internet. And I know it's not the greatest because you can't see it very good. But this would be Herod's temple. This would be the temple in this time when Jesus was here. And so you can see by the little circles that I put in there, the one on the outside, that's the Gentile court. So, so guys, think about this. This is a whole lesson in and of itself. But the temple was the very physical representation of God. That's what it was. And so if you, if you wanted to go as a God-fearer and worship God, you went to the temple. And the very center part was the Holy of Holies where the high priest went once one time a year to offer sacrifices. So, so this is where you went to worship. But everyone was kind of like, you know, divided up. So the Gentiles, there's a wall around the outer court. That's where they could go. Inside there, the other circle was the women's courtyard. Walls around that. They couldn't go any further. Keep them in their designated area, like the smoking area, right, in your old high school. Um, then that didn't go very well. So uh, then, then the next layer is kind of where the men could be, and then obviously the, the middle there was for the priests one time a year. And so they were reminded every time they came to worship God of their outsideness. There were walls. Where's the leper? He's not even on the picture. The leper, you have to kind of span back. He's outside of Jerusalem. He's not even allowed in the city. That's where the leper is. And who does Jesus go to first? Who does Jesus heal first? Leprosy in that time was a, uh, a skin disease. Brought about disfigurement of your, your limbs. It was very um, difficult to look at and see. They were banished socially. And if they would ever have to go out in public, they would have to yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. I, I try my best to try to imagine what that would be like. I try to put that in sort of our context as best we can. And even with these illustrations, I, I don't think they do it justice at all. But the best way I can kind of make, you know, imagine what it would be like if you uh, had to go to school and you had a massive breakout of zits on your face and they were all oozing out. No matter if you're 60 in here or you're 13, you remember when you had zits, right? 
and one one's on your forehead, you're like freaking out. I cannot go to school. Oh my gosh. And if you're a guy here, you went rampaging through your mom's makeup. Can I put some makeup on, right? Well, maybe I'm the only one that did that, but <laughs> that's just embarrassing, isn't it? Everyone sees it. Everyone's kind of grossed out about it. Or it'd be like going to uh, your work and having really bad body odor and you couldn't do anything about it. No deodorant, natural, whatever you use worked. And you just kind of had to go around and say, yeah, I'm sorry, I stink. I, I can't do anything about this. I mean, maybe, maybe we can feel it a little bit. I still don't think it does it justice. Can you imagine going to the mall having to yell unclean, unclean? And it's not just the um, kind of the um, um, exclusion from normal life and even temple worship. Um, I think this is probably even a greater damage to their own um, souls. No one touched them. Nobody touched them. We have no idea how many years it has been since this man has ever felt the skin of another human being. Not in some sexual way, guys. Because there, there is something about the way God has made us as bodily creatures to where we need human touch. We need an embrace. We need a shake of a hand. We need a kind of a gripping of a shoulder, so to speak. Like, that's just a part of who we are. And when that is taken away from us, the kind of psychological damage that does to us is, like, I don't even think we can imagine to some extent. And look, look what happens here. Verse 2. So a man with leprosy, he came, he, he approached Jesus. He knelt before him, worshipped him. There's something about Jesus that he knew was just different. And listen to what he says. Lord, if you are willing. Like, the leper knew that Jesus could. He knew something about his power. To where he knew that Jesus had the power to make him clean and to heal him. But the question was, will you? What kind of man is this here? What kind of character is Jesus? What, what kind of heart is it? Does he, does he really care about my state? Yeah, I know you have the power to heal me, but, but do you want to? No one else has Jesus. I'm, I'm hoping you're a little different. You're able, but will you? And look what Jesus does, verse 3. Then reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him. Reaching, it's almost like Matthew is, is um, intentionally slowing things down. It's almost like if we were seeing this in a movie, it would be just kind of slowly 
seeing the hand of Jesus and what he's getting ready to do, he reached out his hand and he touched him. Some translation says he grabbed him. Man, have you ever been in a place where you're just so like broken that as soon as someone reaches out to give you an embrace, you just start weeping uncontrollably? Have you ever been there? That's close to what this guy probably felt. I mean, if Jesus would have taken 10 steps back and just spoke the word, you're healed, this would have been a different kind of miracle, wouldn't it? And he could have done that, right? Could he not? I mean, he just did it a few minutes later with a centurion dude. I mean, his little buddy's miles away. He said, oh, you're healed. He could have done the same thing with the leper. But he didn't. Why? Why? Why did, why did he not do that? Why, why did he just kind of speak the word because he's trying to, to kind of make a point here and he's trying to help us see the very heart of Jesus here because when Jesus reaches out and touches this leper, what's supposed to happen to Jesus? Based on the law in Leviticus, he's supposed to become contaminated. He just touched something that's unclean. And so whenever you touch something that's unclean, then what happens? You become unclean. But that's not what happened, was it? Did you see that? Dude, that's not what happened. When Jesus reaches out and touches this man, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. The leprosy did not come on Jesus. He's not contagious. Jesus is contagious. Jesus' holiness and purity comes to this leper's life and it changes him forever. He now becomes pure. He now becomes whole. He now becomes transformed because he's encountered the very presence of God. The reason why he touches the leper is so that each of us would see that he's not intimidated by your sin. That he's not stepping back. That in the, in the moments when you feel most unclean, Jesus is not doing this. I mean, just think about it from this perspective. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you operate, but here's kind of how I operate, you know. I came in this morning, Scott, talking to you real quick. I uh, came in this morning, and, and me and Scott have been exchanging emails back and forth and just kind of getting together and talking about some stuff here at the church. And, I, and I, I said, hey, I'll get with you this week. And guess what? I didn't get with you this week, did I, Scott, right? I didn't. I didn't get an email to him. Then crazy week, he gets that, understands. He's not coming to me with any kind of like, what are you doing, love? Come on, man. He's not like, he's not that needy at all. He understands what's happening. But I'm just telling you, this is what's going on in my emotional world. As soon as I get on the lot, I see Scott, and I'm going, ah, dang it. I didn't follow up. And so what do I want to do? I didn't meet Scott's expectations. And so what do I want to do? I want to avoid. Unfortunately, Scott's hard to avoid, right? <laughs> he just keeps coming. He's like the Holy Spirit. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whenever we don't meet someone's expectations, what is instinctively in us is we want to avoid them. When was the last time, and I, man, if we're really honest with ourselves, it probably shouldn't take you too long to think about this. When was the last time you really violated your conscience? When you knew what God said, don't do this. And you said, I know, 
but I'm going to do this. And in that moment where you disobeyed a direct word from Jesus, how did you feel? Look, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, then you probably felt sort of unclean. You felt bad. And that's okay. There's, there's a part of that, that that's part of the Spirit's work. But sometimes when we start feeling that way, we take it a step further and we think God is absolutely ashamed of us. That I'm not worthy to be with Him. And so then we begin to uh, avoid Him. Even though we know so much we know that God forgives. We know that my sin, not in part, but in full, has been paid. We know all this, but experience, I just sinned against God. I feel really unclean, so I'm just going to avoid Him. I stop praying. I stop reading my Bible. Maybe I come to church on Sundays, but I'm just going to kind of sit in the back and keep things close. I don't go to group anymore, and I make up all kinds of excuses why I, Probably don't take communion. Like we, like we do what I just did with Scott and what I wanted to do with Scott this morning. We just avoid. How many of you ever heard the statement, a holy God will not tolerate sin in his presence? You ever heard that statement? At best, it's half true. Who's Jesus again? He's Emmanuel, God with us. And what do we see Jesus doing over and over in the Gospels? What do we see Him do here? He's not repulsed by your sin. He's not intimidated by your uncleanness. Can God be in the presence of sin? Yeah! He can. And I kind of want to add something to that, but I think it might be a little offensive. But yes, he can, because he did it all through the gospel, and thank God he did. Because if he didn't come to earth and draw near to people that are sinful, then all of us are hopeless in this room. Because every single one of us, including me, are sinners. And Jesus didn't go, all right, I'll speak something to you. I'll, I'll say something to you. No, he drew near to us and he grabbed us even in the midst of some of our most unclean moments and said, you're my kid. You're my child. And it's in those moments that his purity becomes your purity. It's in those moments that his holiness comes in and transforms you to where you don't want to do it anymore you follow me this is not a license to sin this is the power to stop sinning he grabbed that man who had leprosy so that you and i can see that when we're in our sin he's not intimidated he's not freaked out in fact what is he doing you're trying to avoid him right and all he's doing is just coming after you. He's coming near you. He's chasing you down. Jesus has all authority. But that authority is not to put you in your place or to keep you in your place. That authority 
is to bring healing to you. May we receive it. May we receive it. It's a gift. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.